Our scripture reading today is uh, our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 15 to 19. Isaiah 53, 15 to 19. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and streams in the wasteland. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our preacher today is next, our next generation pastor, Ali Corvo. I thought it might be good to reintroduce Ali briefly, as some of you may not know who she is, or you don't remember exactly who she is. So uh, Ali came on staff on uh, June 10th, and she's over, our, she'll be, she's over our children, our youth, and our young adult ministries, our next generation. Um, all, Allie has a ministry credential with our denomination, the ECC, Evangelical Covenant Church, and will be ordained next year. She's finishing up her Master's at Divinity at Sioux Falls Seminary. Allie served as a youth pastor for a number of years, and actually this year even the conference uh, invited her and asked her, to, can she be a coach to other youth pastors in our, in our conference? She is well known in our denomination, and most everyone I spoke to about her, we were like, you know, even before we hired her, who knew her, and has been exposed to her ministry, spoke incredibly highly, embarrassingly so, Allie. Uh, she's a future leader, and what a preacher. And uh, it's always terrible to say it before someone preaches. But, uh, but I am just quoting. That's all I'm doing. I'm quoting what I heard. And uh, I don't want to set her up, but I hope that you're as excited as I am that she's part of our church now. And uh, anyway, let's thank the Lord for bringing her our way. And... Um, and let's pray now. Lord we, Lord, we pray that you'll give us attentive ears to hear what you've put on Allie's heart to share with us this morning. We pray you will anoint her and use her powerfully. In the name of Jesus, 
Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, I just feel like I want to take the bar and just like whoop, bring it back down. Uh, but it is really good to be with all of you in general and especially today. Um, so in the spirit of continuing to get to know each other, I thought I would just confess, um, I've never really been a roller coaster person, but I did always really love the spinny rides at amusement parks, you know, the ones that like spin and swing side to side. Um, so a few years ago, I took my youth group to Six Flags, and as soon as we got there, I excitedly recruited a group of them to go with me on this ride. <laughs> the Spin Sanity. And we had just started moving when I had the awful realization that something had changed, that I was no longer someone who loved spinny rides. <laughs> my stomach was rapidly alternating between my toes and my throat, and I was very, very aware of my breakfast. And in between thoughts of deep regret, I was promising myself that as soon as the ride was over, I would be fine. But that is not what happened. Besides being uh, the kids telling me all day long, Allie, your face is like kind of green. Um, I lay on my bed that night, reliving that ride over and over. The bed was spinning and the room was spinning. The effects of that ride stayed with me much longer than I expected and definitely longer than I would have liked. And suffice it to say, now when I go to amusement parks, I am very content to just be the designated bag holder. <laughs> Sometimes change is big and dramatic. It's this unexpected moment of upheaval that throws our lives into chaos, makes our world spin. It could be a diagnosis, losing a job, a breakup, the start of a pandemic, it can be dizzying, overwhelming, painful, and mostly we just want the feeling to stop. And sometimes the change is something expected, maybe something we've known is coming for a long time. <coughs> Starting at a new school, the arrival of a new baby, moving to a new house, sending your kid off to college, retiring. These changes are all more positive for sure, but they still have ripple effects. Their reach still touches many different areas of our lives with this sense of disequilibrium. It makes our next steps uncertain or maybe even completely unknown to us. No matter if it is big or small, welcome or unwelcome, expected or unexpected, change almost always includes some level of doubt, grief and maybe loss, anxiety, exhaustion or worry, all of these can be wrapped up in change. And the reason that change is so all-encompassing, involves so many different emotions, is because by definition, change requires letting go of one thing in order to embrace something new. And this summer, we've been in a sermon series together called All Things New, looking at Acts chapter 2. And Acts 2 is the story of Pentecost, the church is born as the Holy Spirit arrives, and God begins to take the things of the past that are broken and incomplete and transform, fulfill, redeem, and make them new. And Acts 2 is this mountaintop experience of change for the disciples. 
It's amazing, and it's exciting, and it will sustain them for all the many years where they spend working out this transformation, what it looks like when the rubber meets the road. But today, I actually want to back up just a little bit to Acts chapter 1, because Acts chapter 1 is also a pivotal moment of change. But like change often is, it's a little more of a mixed bag of emotions than the pure excitement of Acts 2. And it can show us a great deal about our own responses to change. Let's pray again before we dive in. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring glory and honor to you. Speak, Lord. We are your servants and we are listening. Amen. So, after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with his followers before he returned to heaven. And during one of their final moments together, Jesus says this, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. John, meaning John the Baptist, baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So the weeks leading up to this moment had been a total whirlwind for the disciples. They had spent three years following Jesus closely, learning from him, investing everything into his ministry, their whole lives. They had dreams for the future that he might usher in. And then suddenly, Jesus is betrayed by one of their own, crucified by the Romans at the urging of the Jewish religious leaders, and grief, despair, fear take over. But then Jesus is resurrected, and their joy, confidence, and hope return. But the ride still isn't over. There's more change to come. Because the Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send the promised rescuer or Messiah. And many Jews specifically believed the Messiah would come to rescue them from the rule of the Roman Empire. And that's that hope we hear in their question. Okay, Jesus, so now are you going to kick out the Romans? and establish the kingdom of Israel. They're a little bit <clears throat> like my cat when uh, I get him a new toy to play with and he's more interested in the box that it came in. Because Jesus takes their very long-held ideal and he infuses it with new and greater vision. Jesus says, that's not what's important right now. That's for God to know and you to find out. I'm sure they loved hearing that. Here's what is important, Jesus says. You are going to help me establish God's kingdom, sharing the love of God to people in every corner of the earth by living out what you have seen me do and heard me teach. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit is going to show up and equip you in ways beyond your wildest dreams for this task ahead. And then after only just having gotten him back, Jesus leaves, returning to heaven. We all tend to react differently to change. 
a reaction is something that comes from our gut. It's really more of a survival instinct. Think like fight or flight, or that unfortunate word that came out when you stubbed your toe. There were over 100 of Jesus' followers in the room for this conversation, and therefore a whole spectrum of reactions. There were some grieving the loss of a future they pictured, or the closing of a chapter of their lives. Some who were probably ready to dive in headfirst and go change the world right then and there. Some who probably still had some questions and concerns about how this was all going to work out. Some maybe just paralyzed by fear, rightly so, terrified of the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders. Or maybe they were just overwhelmed by the emotional strain of the last month and a half. Change is always happening. In fact, change is never not happening. From the moment we are born, our bodies are continuously growing and changing. Our minds, too, as we learn and experience new things. And culture is the same way. Our relationships, our ways of interacting with each other, our rhythms, habits, all of these things naturally evolve and shift. Now, we don't tend to notice that change every single day. For example, we may not notice how much our bodies have changed until we see a new picture of ourselves. We may not notice how much our minds have changed until we ace that big exam we thought for sure was impossible. We may not notice how much culture has changed until we discover that somehow the mullet is making a comeback in 2023. <laughs> we often notice change at these big milestone moments or celebrations or crisis moments in our lives or that we see on the news. But just because we become aware of change in moments like these, it doesn't mean that change only happens in moments like these. It can feel like change only happens in unpredictable bursts that suddenly leave us treading in unfamiliar water. But change is always happening. And when we forget that change is a constant, that change is the norm and not the exception, we get surprised, we get frustrated, we get tired when change has the audacity to keep showing up. And then our reaction might be to cling tightly to what we know and love, afraid of what the new will mean or how it will feel. We might deny the change is happening either by distraction or avoidance, or maybe a little more deliberately. We may fight the change, push back on it by labeling it as bad because it is different. When we face change, we may try to create security and safety for ourselves by controlling other areas of our lives. A friend of mine calls these reactions, this posture towards change, walking backwards into the future. And my friend, all of these feelings are so, so valid. As someone who the last six months of my life has been full of rapid change, and I admit I have seen every single one of these play out in myself at different times. And my experience is that our good God meets us wherever we are at. And my encouragement for all of us this morning is that this reality of constant change is not something we need to fear. There is so much more for us than just our very human gut reactions to change. 
the opposite of a reaction is a response. And a response utilizes our memories and the more analytical parts of our brains. Think when you take a deep breath or count to 10 before saying the first thing that comes to mind. A response involves a shift in our thinking. It provides us with a new posture towards the situation. And while each of us may react differently to change because of our personalities or our experiences, our faith can prompt in all of us the same response to change. And here's why. God loves change. God loves change. Throughout our Bibles, God is always doing a new thing. A new thing that defies expectation and exceeds human imagination. Genesis. Genesis shows us how creative God is. He created everything from nothing. Masterfully crafted everything from the northern lights to ostriches to the fact that humans can laugh and cry at the same time. God called people like Abraham and Mary to leave behind life as they knew it to embrace incredible callings, ones that made them both ask, but God, how is this even possible? Jesus was constantly adding new and greater meaning to the teachings and traditions of the past by saying, you have heard it said, and now I say to you, he consistently reversed the way people used and thought of power and the social totem pole. In Revelation 21, God declares, see, I'm making all things new. And he paints this picture of a day when the brokenness of earth will be restored, just like the Garden of Eden. God loves change. And that includes change inside of us. 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Baptism is a sign of our new life in Christ. In Romans, we are called to be transformed by the continued renewing of our minds towards the things of God and away from the things of this world. And in Isaiah 43, which Garrett read for us earlier, God says to his people, Forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. I'm about to do something new. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers even in the dry wasteland. So after building Disneyland in California, Walt Disney purchased land in Florida, actually not to build a theme park, but to build what he called a fully functional city of the future. He called it Epcot, or Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Walt Disney imagined a city that would always be in a state of becoming something new, a living blueprint of the future. Now, Walt Disney died before the project could take off, and his company executives didn't know what to do with the Epcot land. Having failed to catch Disney's big vision for it, they said that they would reconsider Epcot from an economic, operational, technological perspective, evaluating its market potential. Rather than imagine, they settled for what they knew would get them at least some measure of success, another theme park. And during the Acts 1 moment, Jesus is inviting his disciples to set aside, to let go of what they know or what they think they know 
to embrace something so much bigger than they could wrap their brains around. They could not have imagined what was going to come just a few weeks later at Pentecost when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. They had no idea what the Holy Spirit was, but I'm pretty sure they didn't imagine little tongues of fire over people's heads and the ability to speak other languages. I'm pretty sure they couldn't have imagined what it would look like when all of them were launched onto the front lines of this mission that Jesus spoke of and when it began to spread like wildfire around the known world. It changed and is still changing history. So when we come to a moment of change, our creative God wants to spark our imaginations for what could be. The God who is doing a beautiful new thing in us, for us, and through us, invites us to open our hands to embrace change with a posture of hope. God loves change, but God never changes. This sparking of our imagination, this posture of hope, it's firmly anchored in trust. In Isaiah 43, right before God tells his people to forget the things of the past, he actually first tells them to remember. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. God calls to their communal memory the moment that he dramatically rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And actually, God often instructs his people to remember. Our faith ancestors set up altars to mark places that God provided for them. And many of the Jewish festivals were instituted to annually celebrate a moment of God's faithfulness. Our practice of sharing communion together was given to us by Jesus to remember his death and resurrection. Now, the Hebrew word for remember in our Bibles is zakar. And zakar is not the kind of remember where you like search through your brain for a piece of information or maybe a memory. To zakar, to remember, is active. As scholar Chad Bird says, to zakar is to employ your hands and feet and lips to engage in whatever action that remembrance requires. When we remember God's faithfulness, it is meant to prompt us to action, to respond with trust. And scripture is full of the stories of God's faithfulness to his people, even, maybe especially, in moments of great change. God provided manna, quail, water for the Israelites as they wandered through the desert, a transition period in their history. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Your heavenly Father knows all your needs, and he will give you everything you need. So we can trust that even when change causes great uncertainty in our lives, God will provide for us. Remember the story of Joseph, the guy with the Technicolor dream coat? His life, as he knew and loved it, was interrupted when he was betrayed by his brothers, enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt. 
Later, though, through circumstances that only God could have orchestrated, Joseph became Pharaoh's most trusted advisor and saved all of Egypt and God's people from famine. So then, we can trust God's promise in the book of Romans that he will always work good, even from change that is unwelcome or painful. These are just a few examples. Every chapter in the big story of our Bibles assures us that who God is and how he feels about us is never changing and trustworthy. As Romans 8 says, nothing, not even our fears, our worries for tomorrow, can ever separate us from God's love. Change is not just a part of life. Change is the way of life. And God is always doing a new thing, always bringing resurrection to every situation, to all of our broken places. And our creative and faithful God invites us to shift our posture, to walk forward into the future with hope and with trust. In the Acts 1 moment, in the midst of their world and their futures turning upside down, the very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples is this. Remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. John O'Donohue, he's an Irish poet and priest, and he wrote a poem called For a New Beginning. I won't read it all to you, but I'll leave you with this little stanza. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning. Let's pray together. I invite you in this moment of quiet to bring to God whatever change you are in the midst of, whether it is exciting or painful, something you are worried about, maybe something you are waiting for. Imagine holding it in your open hands and share with God what is on your heart and mind. God of heaven and God with us. Thank you for your great faithfulness to us. Thank you for knowing and providing everything that we need. We invite you into these moments of change that we are experiencing. We welcome your strong and gentle presence beside us. Holy Spirit, do your thing. Move in ways that are so much more than we could ever think to ask or imagine. Build our trust in your faithfulness, Father, so that we might be people of hope who see and celebrate the new thing that you are doing all around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.